There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Is Christ within everyone? This is a fundamental principle of New Age spirituality that Christ is not only in everyone, but in everything. But now, this controversial belief is even being professed by some who claim to be spirit-filled Christians. So it's definitely a question that needs to be answered, and it's definitely a concept that deserves our attention. To begin my explanation and my response to that question, let me go first to Dr. Ernest Holmes, the founder of the United Church of Religious Science, which is part of something called the New Thought Movement. And that means a new way of looking at Christianity and a new way of interpreting biblical concepts. Listen to what Dr. Ernest Holmes says concerning this idea, this concept of the Christ or the Christ nature. He said, Christ is the reality of every man, his true inner self. Christ is the universal idea, the higher self. Christ is the embodiment of divine sonship, which has come with varying degrees of power to all people. Christ is a universal presence. There is no one particular man predestined to become the Christ. We must understand that Christ is not a person but a principle. As the human gives way to the divine in all people, they become the Christ. A very intense statement. Maybe I should expand the title of this podcast to include a little bit more. Is Christ within everyone and are all people destined to become the Christ? Really heavy stuff, right? Yes, extremely heavy. And it's either heavy with an incredibly deep revelation of truth or it's extremely heavy with delusion and deception. There's really no middle ground. And we're going to find out which one of those this concept comes under the heading of. This theory that's really embodied by the principle I just shared is based on two main assumptions. Number one, that there is a distinct difference between the man Jesus and the Christ that there is a distinct difference between the two. A New Age writer named George Trevelyan explains, and I quote, Esoteric Christianity sees Jesus as the human vehicle for the cosmic being of the Christ. If that's true, if Jesus was just another human being that tapped into Christ's consciousness, then he is demoted 
from the position of being the Savior and the Redeemer of all mankind and the only manifestation of God in this world to a lesser position of being a mere way-shower, a revealer of mysteries, a divine prototype. We can look at him and become just like him. He is no more than a fellow human being who gives us a tremendous example that we should imitate that we might also walk in our quote-unquote Christhood. You'd be surprised who believes things like that. I used to go to Los Angeles every month to conduct a meeting there, and one month I actually went to a church pastored by Della Reese, the woman who played an angel in that popular program, Touched by an Angel, and she was pastor of a church called the Up Church, which is part of the New Thought Movement. And I was quite amazed. The worship service was very intense, like I was in a charismatic meeting that was really flowing in the power of God. And it was wonderful. The people were passionate about worshiping God. But then the speaker got up, And everything he said embodied the principles I just shared, that Jesus is not a savior, but a way shower, not a redeemer, but an example of what we can become. And uh, it just, it blew me away that they could be that close, yet that far away from what I believe to be absolute truth. Now listen closely, advocates of this viewpoint believe that there was a certain point where Jesus, the man, received an awakening of the Christ nature. However, my response to that would be the angelic visitation that took place at his birth when the angel said, Fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Even when he was an infant, only a few minutes old, just freshly born into this world, already he was Christ the Lord. He didn't have to come into an awakening of the Christ nature. Also, later on, many years later, he was questioning his disciples, and he said to Peter, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, or some great prophet risen from the dead. And Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Think of that. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus did not correct Peter and say, no, no, I'm not just the Christ. I'm one of many. He didn't say that. He said, you're blessed, Peter. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And so he praised Peter because Peter identified him as the singular and unique one who could bear this title of being the Christ. See, some people 
who subscribe to this idea that we're camping on on this podcast. Some people believe that until the day of his water baptism, Jesus was just an ordinary man. But then at that moment, he was awakened to his Christ nature. But at his baptism, Jesus did not become the Christ. Jesus was empowered to function as the Christ. He was already Christ. He was already God manifested in the flesh, but he was empowered to function in the role that he was sent to function in. So the podcast question we are answering, let's go back to it, is this, is Christ in everyone? And we can see that there are many people who actually profess that and believe that, and for a variety of reasons. The second reason people embrace this view is because they insist that Christ's nature can be accessed by anyone, regardless of whether or not they accept Jesus as Lord of their lives. That pushes Jesus out of the picture to a certain degree, because no, lo- no to a great degree, because no longer is his death on the cross necessary for sins to be washed away. No longer is the concept of separation from God entering into the picture and Jesus repairing that breach. No longer is the resurrection from the dead that powerful or that important because no longer is the deity of Jesus unique and exceptional. We are all part of this picture. We are all able to access the Christ nature and God can express, the Godhead can express itself fully in each and every one of us if this concept is true. It has many names. A New Ager may call it self-realization or spiritual awakening. A Hindu may call it samadhi. A Buddhist may call it nirvana. But those who subscribe to the idea that all religions are just different paths to the same ultimate goal would say that those words are all describing the same thing. And that is the awakening of Christ's consciousness, which every individual has the potential of experiencing. Again, even if they have never accepted Jesus as the sacrifice for sins, nor repented of their sins, nor acknowledged a separation between them and God. When the Bible says your sins have separated you from God, and quite often you find in New Age circles the teaching that we don't really have this dilemma of being separated from God. Our dilemma is our failure to recognize that we've always been one with God and that that's a delusion, the idea that we're separate. Or the opposite could be true, and I subscribe to the opposite, that the delusion, the exceptional delusion, is that we don't need that separation repaired, that we have always been one with God. But let me continue. This mindset used to be heralded primarily 
by advocates of yoga and New Agers and people into Far Eastern religions and the New Thought movement and metaphysics. They, they would champion the idea that I voiced at the beginning as one of their main fundamental principles. People who intentionally use Christian-sounding terminology in order to persuade those who are familiar with the Bible into accepting their esoteric ideas. However, in recent years, surprisingly, surprisingly, there has been an overflow of this concept into some circles that are part of the charismatic movement or the evangelical movement within Christianity, and they are using the Bible to try and prove their case. And their beliefs are just uh, as, as radical as those who don't subscribe to Christianity altogether. All right, when did I come across this? About five years ago, I read an article on a popular, extremely popular charismatic website. And I'm not going to mention the website, and I'm not going to mention the author, because I'm not interested in throwing stones. I'm interested in responding to the concept, not coming against those who actually embrace the concept and calling them by name. But anyway, I read this article on this popular charismatic website, and the article was titled, Christ is All things. That caught my attention because having been involved in New Age spirituality over 50 years ago, there are certain things that trigger me or certain things I immediately can identify as being non-biblical and in content. And I knew there was something that wasn't exactly right with that article, even though it was part of a bunch of articles written by very popular ministers uh, that are known worldwide. And so I thought, I've got to dig into this. It caught my attention. And though the author did not use these terms, terms I'm familiar with because I was involved in Hinduism, I was a teacher of yoga for universities. I ran a yoga ashram in 1970. So I'm familiar with these terms, and I've studied all the books that use these terms. He never used the word pantheism or panentheism, and yet he described in this article exactly what those concepts are. Pantheism, well, it comes from two root words, pantheos, that means all is God. So pantheism is the idea that all is God and God is all, that the material universe is actually an emanation of the Godhead so that everything is actually spirit, taking on the temporary appearance of the illusion of physical matter. But eventually it will all dissolve away and return back to Godhead. That's pantheism. A modification of that is panentheism. P-A-N-E-N theism, which means all is in God and God is in all. And there is a, a remarkable difference between the two concepts because someone who believes in pan, panentheism 
does not necessarily believe the universe is an emanation of God, but that everything in the universe has a divine essence at its core. And I'm not sure which one of these this particular Christian writer really was subscribing to, but listen to what he wrote. He actually based everything he had to say on one verse out of the Bible and one translation of that verse which is not a smart thing to do because you've got to rightly divide the word of truth. That means you take every scripture that deals with any particular subject, you put them all together into one big pot and stir them up, so to speak, and then pour out the soup of truth where all of them have got to be complementary. All of them have got to agree with one another. And if you are pulling one scripture out of context to teach and preach something totally different than what the other related scriptures teach, then you have heresy. Then you have something that is unacceptable to real Bible believers. But anyway, this particular minister who wrote this article quoted from the Common English Bible that version of Colossians 3.11. And the Common English Bible of Colossians 3.11 says, Christ is all things and in all people. That's a verification of Far Eastern doctrine, New Age spirituality doctrine, if we take it surface value, and if that's a correct interpretation of the original Greek. Christ is all things and in all people. This particular Christian writer also proposed that the evangelical view of being, quote-unquote, born again is incorrect. The idea that Jesus comes to live within the heart of a person upon repentance and faith, and when that person invites Jesus to be Lord of his life, instead, he asserted, and I was floored, I just was amazed. I was awed that this was actually on this website. He said, everyone has Christ in them. And that includes Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims and Jainists and people of every imaginable faith. He said, at birth, everyone is born with Christ within them. And once again, he based that on Colossians 3.11 in one version the Common English Bible. And he also maintained, because creation has been made through Christ, Christ is in all creation, and the whole creation emanates with and reflects Christ. This includes humanity as well. End of quote. All of this because of one translation of one verse that blew me away. One major mistake involved taking Colossians 3.11 out of its surrounding text, which is not proper exegesis, but it's something called eisegesis. Exegesis is drawing out of a verse of Scripture, drawing out of a passage, the correct biblical meaning by comparing it to all its surrounding concepts and ideas that frame it, as well as 
other verses, other portions of scripture that deal with the same concept. That's exegesis. You draw a correct understanding of that concept out of the Bible by applying those principles. Eisegesis is having a personal bias that you apply to a scripture to make it say what you want it to say without comparing it to the text around it and to other related scriptures. Well, this man was dealing in something that would be called improper eisegesis. Let me quote the two verses that come before Colossians 3.11. And I'm going to quote it to you in a different version in the new King James Version. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, Christ, but Christ is all and in all. But Christ is all and in all. That's Colossians 3, 9 through 11 in the New King James Version. Now, when you see it in context, you realize when Paul said Christ is all, he wasn't talking about the entire universe. Not at all. He was not promoting pantheism. He was not promoting panentheism, that everything is a manifestation of God or everything contains the essence of God. To think so is absurd. He was merely highlighting the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like any one of us could say something like, it's not church buildings and choirs and sermons. It's all Jesus. Well, if I say it's all Jesus, I'm not saying the whole universe is a manifestation of Jesus. I'm saying that when it comes to true Christianity, he's the preeminent one. It's all about Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's not about all of these rituals and ceremonies and traditions that we count so important. The contemporary English version, a different version, puts it really well. It says, Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Whoa, wait a second. That version says he lives in all of us. But you've got to realize this letter was not written to the world as a whole. This letter was written to a church full of believers in Jesus, in the cross, in the resurrection, who had been born again. And Paul, in referencing them, said, Christ lives in all of us. He was talking of himself after his conversion experience, that was true, and all of those who were part of the church. So once again, you've got to be careful to execute the interpretation of a passage, not by eisegesis, but by exegesis, and balance it out with all the contributing factors. And that's one of the contributing factors that this was a letter that was written to a church full of Christian believers. Besides, if all people are born with Christ in them, why? Did Jesus pray for this to happen at a future time? You may say, well, when did he pray? In John chapter 17, that great prayer of intercession over the church that would be birthed in the new covenant era, 
Jesus prayed amazing things. You should read the entire chapter of John, chapter 17, from verse 1 to verse 26. It's full of deep revelation. I'm only going to read from verse 22 to verse 26, though. Jesus said, as he prayed to the Father, and most people believe he prayed this just outside the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he sprawled before the Father and said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And great droplets of bloody sweat came out of his pores. Right before that happened, when he struggled to surrender to this destiny of facing the cross, he prayed this prayer over the church that would result. And he said, Father, the glory you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one, that they may be one. Not that they will be awakened to the realization that they are already one. He's talking about something that will happen, not something that already exists. He said, and the glory that you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. Now, here's the last verse, and it's a powerful truth. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. He's indicating that he's not already there, but he is also indicating that something's going to happen to them where they will encounter the love of God and encounter the reality of the indwelling of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, he prefaced this portion of the prayer in verse 9 with this statement. He said, I do not pray for the world, but for those that you've given me out of the world. And then he went on to pray that I might be in them that is directly contrary to this concept that Christ is within every human being. Let me bring things to closure by quoting from Kenneth Woodward, who pointed out in a Newsweek article, now this is a secular magazine, but he pointed out in a comparative religion article in Newsweek, he said, that there is an unbridgeable difference between Buddhism and Christianity. He said, a Christian can never become Christ, while the aim of every serious Buddhist is to achieve Buddhahood himself. Even in a secular magazine, they differentiated between the two views. Jesus the Christ is the one who always has been and always will be the eternal word, the son of the living God, inseparably and infinitely a member of the triune Godhead, one God comprised of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's a position that no other human being could ever claim. 
the personality of Jesus and the personality of the Christ are not two separate things. They are one and the same. And we must be careful to identify him correctly. Why? And this is my final statement. Because faith in a counterfeit Christ produces a counterfeit salvation. Remember that. Faith in a counterfeit Christ produces a counterfeit salvation. I urge you to get my book, In Search of the True Light, because these are in-depth, detailed subjects that require real study. And sometimes a podcast can't really cover all the bases the way I need to. And in this book, In Search of the True Light, you will find article after article after article that delves into these things deeply and you will come out knowing the true light. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.